Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are here to review Season 2 Episode 8 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds under the cloak of war. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Whovian slash Trekkie, Cal Jones. How are you doing today, man? You know, since I am wearing, for everyone listening, I'm wearing a Darth Vader, I guess, slash Star Trekkie. <laughs> I mean, excuse me, Star Warsy a little bit. But yes, I'm good. I'm glad to be here and can't wait to talk about this with you. How are you? I'm doing good, man. You know what? We need to dig up that Toys That Made Us YouTube video we made like five years ago. Yes. <laughs> and drop it in the chat because um, that was a lot of fun because you you went deep in the geekdom with your Star Trek toys. Yes, Star indeed. Star Wars toys. Yes, me. indeed. And they were originals, mind you, from when I was a kid, telling my age. But yes, originals from when I was a kid. Guys, he had a whole binder. He had the binder full of the toys. I did not have a binder. I had a box that came. <laughs> it was like a it, binder. <laughs> remember, you could turn the box over and actually stand them up on the uh, box itself. Oh, uh, yeah, that that was really cool. So it was cool you digging that out of the... You got that from your mom's house, right? Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, yeah. good memories. Yeah, we will try to drop the link to that video, fun video. When we, when we used to do videos in person, Mr. Jones, back in the day. Indeed. Do you remember that? that? Was a, yes, indeed. That was fun, actually. Cutting our YouTube teeth, so to speak. Yes. Hello to everyone in the chat. We have Dreamwalker. We have Win Grace. We have Tasha. Thanks to you all for being there, as always. We appreciate it. But we're going to go ahead and get right into our review of Strange New Worlds Under the Cloak of War, which was written by Davy Perez and directed by Jeff Bird. Captain Pike and his crew welcome a Klingon defector aboard the USS Enterprise, but his presence triggers the revelation of some shocking secrets. So for everyone listening, if you have not seen this episode, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, Spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. The spoiler warning has been dropped, and like always, we go right back to Mr. Jones for the beats of the episode, sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Honestly, you never know. Mr. Jones, what do you have for us this week? So I have something a little short, a little sweet, but here we go. Beware the credit that is not your own. <laughs> what do you think of that? Beware the credit that is not your own. I think those are wise words to live by. Wise words indeed. Um, what are your high level thoughts of the episode, sir? Absolutely loved it. Loved it. On several different levels. Totally enjoyed it. Agreed. Um, for me, it was a very dark episode. Um, you know, for, for all the fun we had with those old scientists, this one definitely brought, <laughs> brought the humor and all the laughter and all that down to a screeching halt because man, this one was pretty intense. Yeah. So, uh, under the cloak of war, which, um, I'm not sure what this actually comes from. The only thing I could really find parousing the internet was an Albert Einstein. He's a known pacifist. And he had a saying that said, it is my conviction that killing under the cloak of war is nothing but an act of murder. Pretty grim <laughs> assessment there. Now, I'm not a soldier. I've never been in the military. So um, maybe that statement might seem a bit harsh from Mr. Einstein there, but something to ponder a little bit. 
And as we even see in this episode, you have to question some of the things that Mr. Joseph Mbinga was doing in this episode. Yes. And, you know, I am, I'm just going to go ahead and call it. I have always said that Beverly Crusher has been my favorite doctor, and she still is, because I loved her as the, um, you know, ship's doctor on Next Generation that said, this dude is awesomely coming up as my second favorite. The more I see him, wow, he is good. Yeah. And uh, Dreamwalker in the chat likes your quote. He says, uh, where the credit is not your own. I like it. Can I steal this quote? <laughs> yes. Consider it stolen. You've got it. Yeah. And I'll just say, I mean, you talk about the the performance. Um, uh, I think the acting in this episode was just, if you talk about acting in Star Trek being top notch, I think from every corner, the acting was just off the chain. And, you know, we're going to get into it, but the, the whole ceremonial dinner scene it's some of the best acting I've seen in a long time in Star Trek. And just the direction with the camera movement. Mm-hmm. You know, you have some 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 slight pans here and there. You have some uh, shifting focus on some of the scenes there. I just thought it was well done and well acted. So um, A plus for the acting in this episode. Oh, absolutely A plus. A uh, hundred million percent A plus. You know, I feel like I'm going to just go through this entire episode agreeing with everything you say. Unless you say that you didn't like something. But yes, I agree with you. Yeah. Some interesting comments for the chat here. Uh, Dreamwalker saying that if the medical bay is under siege, Mbinga is definitely the doctor I want to have around. I wonder why Kirk didn't take him on many more missions. Yeah, it's funny. I've been going back and watching TOS. Those are scientists. And basically, I mean, Mbinga is just a backup doctor. (laughs) He only shows up when McCoy isn't around. So, yeah, it would have been interesting to see him a bit more involved. But, you know, to even see him get as much limelight as he did back in the day, I thought was was pretty interesting, you know. So I wonder if so they weren't both on the same episode at the same time. Right. So I wonder if he were considered the actor that played this character in the original series. I wonder if. Part of the reason was you're a day player as opposed to a named player. And yeah, maybe, but they were on some episodes together. Um, like if McCoy is on their way mission and they need a doctor on the ship. I've seen an episode like that. So, so yeah, um, good, interesting point, though. Definitely interesting mm-hmm. point. <laughs> Wingray says, I never thought, let's see, let's go back in here. Never thought my favorite Sonic shower scene would be big. <laughs> I think mine might be a Bellana Torres, if I'm thinking correctly. <laughs> but good point there, Wind Grace. Um, and let's see what Dreamwalker is saying here. Get get through a few of these comments before we get on with the review. Maybe all that usage of the superpower fluid, <laughs> the protocol 12, <laughs> hurt his health too much. Good point. Good point. And we also see Retney in the chat. So, yeah, we're going to move along just a little bit. But, you know, you have to say under the cloak of war, you have to ask what war, of course, is the Klingon Federation War, which was between the years 2256 and 57. And, you know, the the war that we got a glimpse into, well, I guess was even kicked off by Discovery and Burnham's act of mutiny. So, you know, we're playing on all of that. And, you know, all that came before we even had a Discovery. So we knew about this war for a long time. So it's it's good to go back and get a little bit more detail fine detail into what actually happened during this war, because, you know, many of us were saying it kind of just came and went in Discovery Season 1. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm loving that they're going back and giving us a little bit, you know, filling in some of the gaps 
of the war. So if you don't mind me asking, I have a question for you. Yeah. So often we see, and this is not just in Star Trek, we see this a lot in other types of series. But one thing that I really, really, really enjoyed was this was the type of a flashback episode that didn't put two adversaries having to work together for the common good and get over their, um, (laughs) you know, their whatever their beef may be. I really liked that they went back and really devoted some attention to the backstory, not just talk about it, not just a little clip. It's almost here's the A plot, here's the B plot. Question to you, did you like that? Did you like how they did that? Oh, man, let's get into the flashback on the moon of Jagal. Um, Just excellently uh, portrayed shot the scenes the the use of the volume the tent city everything they added to add flavor to that i thought was really well realized i like the black uniforms you know i guess in war time we're gonna wear black (laughs) i like the black uniforms so everything they did to realize that on screen i thought they did an excellent job and it 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 really had a lot of weight to it i mean Mm -hmm. because i i guess i've been saying how some of these and you know it's shot on the volume some of those have felt kind of cookie cutter to me with this one you know we come in with that shuttle shot just landing and and we're in the thick of it uh, and, and we have <laughs> bombardment coming as soon as chapel gets down there on the on the moon so i just felt like the way they shot this and, and displayed it to us in this in this episode i thought was well done you know bravo bravo to that mm-hmm. what about you how did it feel to you You know, I am probably going to say something that will have people who are listening saying, oh, well, there was this, 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 and this, and you're wrong on that. So if there is this, this, and this, and I'm wrong, please, please, please let us know. But that said, seemingly a lot of times when they do show things in Star Trek, especially when it's Federation, yes, we may have a big war, but you don't really see the ground level. You always Mm -hmm. see the ship level and you see things blowing up and you assume that there's going to be death, but it's more on a grand scale. You don't see what we saw. And to me, I think this is one of the unusual things that I've seen in Star Trek. And I really liked it for that reason. Yeah, I mean, I definitely love how they drill, drilled in on it. And um, and to see a bunch of tough decisions in that whole Jagal sequence, I thought was really well done. We get Clint Howard back, <laughs> the brother of Ron Howard. We get him back. He may have, I'd have to throw this out to the chat room because I don't know. He may have the longest tenure from start to finish in Trek because he was in the, the, the Corbinite Maneuver at seven years old, and now he's 64, and he's coming back as as, as Buck Martinez, <laughs> chief mm. medical officer. So that's a pretty big span. And I don't know, I don't know if anybody else has a wider mm. birth of um of time in, in Trek. You mm. know, I just think of the people that were on TOS. I mean, none of them are in Star Trek now. So uh yeah, and he's played many characters over the years. He was in uh, Past Tense as a character called Grady. He was Muck, a Ferengi in Acquisition, the Enterprise episode. And he was an Orion in Will You Take My Hand, a Discovery episode. So uh, he's, he's been, you know, paying his dues as a Star Trek actor. Mm. You know, you said the first time he appeared was in 64. 
Well, no, no, no. He in the Corbinite maneuver that was sixty six. He was seven years old. Oh, okay, so it was in sixty six. You know, if he were playing the same character, I was about to say he might be tied with something that happened last year on Doctor Who, but it was a cameo by the actor. 57 years playing the same actor, but this sounds like this actor has played several different characters yeah. across the lore. Yeah. But still, within itself, you were seven years old in 66, and you are however <laughs> old you are now in 23, and you're still in Star Trek. I mean, yeah, pretty kudos. Pretty cool. Yeah, and, and if you haven't seen that episode, go look up Baylock <laughs> and laugh at, at the young um, Clint Howard in the Star Trek. Good stuff. So when, help me out here. When Nurse Chapel first sees him bingo on the planet, what was going on there? He was in some tub or it, it just felt odd how they introduced him for the first time. Was he recovering? Did that feel weird to you? Yeah, but I don't know why. I just, you know, I, I think it was more so less of what he was doing that I was paying attention to. And more so into me thinking, because I'd just seen the recap, you know, where that we had seen some of the scenes that we had seen. And I was thinking when they had used the stuff that gave them the boost of adrenaline, I was thinking, oh, well, maybe we're going to get some explanation here on that. So that's I think that's what was kind of flooding my head whenever I saw the two of them. Yeah, I think what was unclear to me was, has he been using it on this moon before and just stopped at a certain point? Or, I mean, all that kind of felt like it could have been like in the past mission or a past life as an operative or something. I really want them to go deeper in that because I thought it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Then we get to the transporter buffer thing. We get kind of the backstory of where he got the idea of doing this with his daughter in season one. And we had some hard choices. Now, he very easily <laughs> just says, oh, we, we need to delete the buffer and get these people in. Was that choice to just do it so easily? Did it feel kind of wrong uh, for you when Ambinga does that? Not or or in any the, additional thoughts you might have on that? Well, well. not in the con. Maybe for you and I sitting here in our you know, nice apartments and, you know, with air conditioning and no fighting outside. I think it's easy to say, was he, was he wrong? Because my thought is, well, every life is important. But if you put the circumstances of the circumstances that they're in, is the need of the one greater than the need of the 20 or however many? That's not my call to make, but I see your point. Yeah. And Dreamwalker says here he was making the right choice. And I agree, but he just made it so easily. It, it just gave me a little bit of pause. Real quick to uh, shout out from Wynn Grace here talking about the Jake Sisko episode when he's behind enemy lines um, on DS9. Mm, so uh, I think that was his example of a ground battle. And also Tasha has the siege of AR558. I don't exactly remember that one, but maybe you can enlighten me what episode that was. Uh, but that might have been the episode name. I'm not sure. But but that's another example I think she's given there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, seeing that whole thing was kind of weird to me. We see him being in chapel, save this soldier's life. And this was a, another moment that really had me confused. They saved this soldier's life uh, by doing manual heart pumps, which <laughs> was pretty cool. But there's this whole speech that Mbinga has with him about we fight so that the people we can love can have a chance to live in peace. But 
he gets weirded out when a guy wants to go back out on the field later and do his job. So I, I was a little confused on the messaging there because he gave him this whole inspirational message about fighting and how you're doing it for the people we love. But then he he's he, he's kind of, you know, he doesn't want him to head back out to war with Trask later on in the episode. Mm. You know, I think for me watching that, the message that I saw was this was the deciding moment, the switch in his head that made him do what he does later in the story that we find out. Because think about it. You and Chapel are operating on this kid. He dies for all intents and purposes. You know, they yeah. don't have the equipment that they need to do the regenerative organs. And, you know, they're, they're doing old school to the yep. point of she's literally massaging his heart. And he gets, you know, he has to bring her along with him, you know, motivate her. They save him against all practical odds. And then you have this moment of that. Here's this motivational speech. (laughs) And next couple of scenes down the road, here he is not only in the black outfit, but with the uh, red black outfit. You know, with yeah, the red yeah. uh, on there. So he's red shirted. So you know he's about <laughs> to die. But yeah. but but it, I think what they were trying to show was the fertility of war. Mm. No matter how hard you tried to save this guy, he's now going to be cannon fodder because it's war. Mm. Mm. And Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get that point. I'm right there with you. And we have, you know, Trask. We get a little backstory from Trask, the Andorian, um, and we have people in the chat saying, why couldn't we get a Telluride as well? So <laughs> it was cool seeing an Andorian again in, in Star Trek. So we have Trask, a special ops agent, who is asking Aminga to help because Doc Ra, Ambassador Doc Ra, who, which we're going to go back and give a little more information on in a second, but... He is say kill everybody who's not a Klingon soldier at, at sight. That's civilians, you know, women and children, anybody that's on that moon. So uh, definitely coming off as a ruthless person, and he wants one of the most storied soldiers in Federation history <laughs> with the most hand hand to hand confirmed combat kills to jump in and help the fight. And we even get wind of. Something that Mbinga created himself, which is called Protocol 12. Now, was this what you thought it was going to be when we saw this in the first episode of The Broken Circle, when he and um, he and Chapel went all ham on the Klingon soldiers? Was this kind of what you thought that was going to be? Did you think it was going to be something more? No, I thought it was that. And that's what I was stuck on at the beginning, because I was thinking they're specifically showing things in this previously on trailer or, you know, the catch up. And that's what that's what I assumed it was going to be. Yeah, they mentioned that it was adrenaline and pain inhibitors. I, w- I thought it was going to be something genetic, a little bit something more substantial. But in any case, uh, it seems like it's bad for one's health. So it was discontinued by Starfleet. But I'm I'm glad we got a little bit explanation on that. So we're going to leave the moon of Jakal and come back at the very end when we talk about the uh, butcher of Jakal. <laughs> but. Uh, so we're rolling out the proverbial red carpet, both on whistle and all, and we're inviting Ambassador Doc Ra onto the Enterprise. Uh, well, let me ask you this. You remember at the end of season one of Discovery, the Enterprise shows up like a shining uh, <laughs> city on a hill 
to to meet with Discovery. And we're like, where has this shit been the whole time? We just fought a war. And we get this kind of, I consider it a bad explanation, (laughs) that they didn't want their flagship to be involved because if the war goes bad, we have to survive. (laughs) It's just a dumb excuse, but I guess we're still going with that here. But at least they were consistent, right? At least they're consistent. But you have people on a ship who didn't even experience the Klingon War, you know, number one, Pike, you know, being a a few of them. So, yeah, uh, I I didn't love that excuse now. I mean, then and now it makes even less sense. But we get a look into crew members who actually were present during the war. Of course, you know, in Binga Chapel, we already mentioned, and also Ortega's. And we get to see their reactions to what could we probably could equate to any foreign general who waged war on our country coming over as an ambassador or a dignitary. And they're rolling out the red carpet and they're not loving this. So thoughts on their reactions to and I guess we can even start with Ortega's there on the bridge to Dakra coming aboard the Enterprise. Mm. So my first thought was. You know, I couldn't help but think in real world terms of Germany, because mm. if we were to look at ourselves in 1950 as anywhere else in the world, uh, you know, on Earth in 1950 or the 60s, you would have still been looking at Germany with very, very subjective and suspicious eyes. And rightfully so, yeah. all, you know, with everything that had happened 10 years, 15 years previously. You go up to 2024, and Germany is thought of as an upholder of democracy across, you know, the earth, you know, 60-some-odd years later, 70, 80, whatever years later. I hate math. I'm good with words. (laughs) But that said, putting that into context, that helped me to understand maybe what these people are feeling. You know, Artegas. One thing that really, really impressed me was something that they did not even say was the panic attack that the Mm. doctor had when, you know, he arrived. Nothing was said, but having had a panic attack years and years and years ago, I know what that's like. And I saw that and it was very authentic to me, but yet it wasn't like a big deal quote unquote it was very something you just the audience saw with him but if you had ever had a panic attack you would know what was happening or even if you didn't but if you were familiar with panic attacks is what i guess i'm saying yeah it's definitely a view into something luckily i've personally never experienced and i can't even imagine someone who actually had to kill in the name of our country or see horrible horrific things um, in the name of their country fighting. And then, you know, seeing somebody who was on the opposing side, you know, you welcome, welcoming men with open arms. So I, I can't even imagine having to experience that. So um, again, it goes to some of the well acting and well writing, the great writing in this episode that made that feel uh, impactful and natural for these, these characters. Yep. And I also love that in the beginning we have, um, we have Uhura, giving kind of the layman's viewpoint of what happened. Like, ah, oh, I heard he did this accord and did that. And yeah, well, you don't know. You don't know what really happened to the, to, with this person. So uh, just, just well scripted and well done in that aspect. 
So our friend in the chat, Dreamwalker, said something. I want to throw up this. Give those three officers some advanced warning that they're going to be expected to meet and let them talk with a therapist slash psychologist first to clear them for the meeting. I think that is brilliant. And I think they should have at least mentioned that in some context, whether they decline to have this therapy or what. I think that is a very good point, And I think they should have mentioned that. Yeah, that that was heavy. So a heads up would have been welcomed in, in that aspect. Um, now, I don't know if this this is the first in canon timeline of Arachtogeno being mentioned. It may be. Maybe somebody helped me out in the chat. I think it is, though. And maybe this is the point where it gets programmed into the Federation systems by Spock. So I thought that was a pretty cool Easter egg. Like all Arachtogenos Ratch- going forward were first put into the system by Spock. So, Spock. yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool little thing there for, for that character. Uh, let's go on. Um, yeah, I'll, it's kind of interesting because with Doc Ra, with the ambassador, you can never really tell if he has, is he if he's fully drinking the Kool-Aid, is he all the way on board with his new role of ambassador? Now, later on, we find out there's a little bit of subterfuge with, with this old persona that he's given on. But for me, uh, it, it felt like in every aspect that he was there for real. He was trying to do the right thing. Mm. Um, even let, me, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Did you... Because I'll answer my own question before I ask it. Yes, I did. But did you think while watching this that there was going to be this end where he is really working for the Klingons and this is all a ruse? Did you have that gut feeling that that was what you expected to happen? Or were you just watching it kind of not sure yet? Yeah, that's what I was expecting to happen up until they start to parallel the two characters because there's a lot of parallelism going with Mbinga and Ambassador uh, uh, Ra in this in this episode. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. So once I started to feel like they were doing a lot of parallelism, I I was like, okay, he's not going to, he's probably still going to be the character we see on screen, but there's going to be more there, there, which we do get, get by the end of the episode. Okay. When Grace actually did some research here that I did not do. So thank you. When Grace, he's saying, I just checked. Apparently jet Reno mentioned Ractagino and disco when she was rescued from that asteroid. Interesting. So Spock can get the recipe, right? But jet Reno already had one. Maybe she was on a Klingon world when she had it. I don't know, mm-hmm. but interesting, interesting stuff there. Um, yeah, we talked about the trauma. Let's move on here just a little bit. And get into what Tasha brought up and shout out to Tasha's chat and also Wingrace. You just definitely go to Wingrace's channel and subscribe to him. He's dropping dimes over there as well as Tasha. Tasha mentions this BioBed 3 and I didn't even read into this at all. I just thought maybe they were using it as a metaphor for Mbinga being broken and being fixed by the end of the episode. But they made a reference to the Gorn attack and that maybe... Something is going wrong with the Barbet as a result of the Gorn attack. Mm. Did you read into that at all as maybe being an Easter egg or a trinket I, for something in the future? I wondered if that was laying the groundwork to come because at the very, very end, even after he's fixed it and he walks off, it it 
throws up that red, it's not working thing again. And that's the last thing we see before the episode goes off. We, the audience, see it. You know, he, of course, didn't. So I'm wondering Mm. if there's a virus or something, something that they've installed on the ship that's causing the bed to have malfunctions. So shout out to you and Tasha on that because it went completely over my head. So yeah, Tasha, Cal is Cal is on board with you on that one. So so that's pretty freaking cool. Um, so let's get into this dinner a little bit. This dinner that Captain Pike, you know, who loves to cook, is hosting. He his jambalaya is awesome apparently, but he's hosting a dinner for Ambassador Ra, and um, so many great quotes within this session. But before they go in, I love that uh, when Ortega said that the butcher of Jagal is in there. And we're acting like he's the Dalai Lama. <laughs> That's a great quote. And, uh, you know, she's kind of right on that. And Abinga says something that I think Pelia said in the last episode that felt very similar. She says that sometimes you pretend something long enough, it becomes the truth. And I think she says something similar to Boimler in the previous episode. I don't have the exact quote, but it sounds similar to what we heard her tell Boimler. So, um... It's kind of, and, and you wonder, is Mbinga talking about himself pretending, or is he talking about the ambassador? Probably a little bit of both. Mm. Yeah, that's, I kind of thought a little bit of both there for me. Oh, and there's a quote from Nurse Chapel I'll mention real quick. Uh, Why is it so hard to explain to people who weren't there talking about the war? And I feel like that's that's all of us who didn't go to name X war that happened in, in American or wherever you are, history. It's kind of hard when you're not there to even comprehend the, the fullness of what happened. Yep. And I like something else that she said that dealt with PTSD, which is it never goes away. It's always there. You just deal with it. You know, the pain and the, the trauma is always there. So it's not something that's cured. It's all it stays with you. It, and, and it's how they've said before that war changes people. <laughs> and I'm sorry I'm laughing at that that perfectly timed moment, <laughs> but uh, I shouldn't have been laughing about what you're saying. But but I, I couldn't help to laugh at Wingray saying that Himmer physically transferred his Katra into the bio bed, <laughs> to the bio bed. Excuse me. Oh, and I love that you know we're giving all the callbacks to Discovery. We even got a scene of the Klingon War that's from Discovery pop proper. We got Tukuma <laughs> at the very beginning of the pre-roll. And uh, even even Ortega's uh, recites uh, Takuma's favorite saying, Klingon Matush Joch. Um, I'm saying very badly. Remain Klingon. So I, I love seeing that bit. You know, people hate on Discovery, but I love every time they bring it in. So that made me happy. Um, yeah. And we we spoke a little bit about Doc Ra seeming sincere about his past. And I, I really I really felt like. I don't know if he was just, again, drinking the Kool-Aid, but he felt very, very sincere. So without releasing what had actually is revealed at the end, do you think he was sincere? Do you think this was someone who saw this may be a good next chapter for me and I'm going to embrace it and take it and run with it? Or do you think think there was something else going on with him. What do you think? Oh, man, you and Tasha definitely do think alike because she brought this up in her stream about seizing the opportunity. And 
you know, for all the sincereness that if I feel like he had, it does seem like he just seized the opportunity. This this thing happened that kind of put him in this certain position. He may may have not even wanted it or asked for it, but people are saying, oh, you're the butcher Jagal and you did this to defy the Klingon people and oh, we can accept you on this side now. And, you know, he saw the opportunity from being a, a deserter, from going to a Klingon deserter to going into being a, a Federation ambassador. So, yes, yes, I definitely think he sees the opportunity there. And, you know, if you put yourself in his mindset for a minute, never would he have thought in a million years that there would be anyone to dispute what he was saying. Yes. You know, this is one of those scenarios where everybody around you is dead. So who's going to question whether or not what you're saying is authentic? And the simple fact of I'm a Klingon in a time of war that wants to work with the Federation, he knew that he was going to be received with open arms. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like when you look at your bank account and somebody done put an extra thousand bucks in there, you don't know where it came from or if they're going to try to withdraw it later or mistake on the bank's part, you know, you're just going to kind of ride with it. <laughs> but like Ortegas, I'm not going to spend that money. <laughs> you know, keeping it, keeping it within context, I'm not going to spend that money because I don't trust the money. Indeed. Indeed, sir. Um, we can get into the bar, the sparring session which was a time where we saw Ra reach out to Nbinga. And again, two sides of the, of the same coin. We see where he sees a beneficial opportunity for both of them, having been part of the war. You know, this, this person that fought on the side of the Federation, this person who was a former Klingon, now Federation ambassador, you know, coming together. And he was not wrong in his ambitions there coming together would make things better for everybody, but but at what cost when you know you're kind of living a lie, you know? And mm-hmm. and and Mbinga wasn't having any of that because in the back of his head he already knew the truth. <laughs> mm. See, what so did you think this, you know, in that particular scene where they're fighting, did you think they were going to have a peaceful come together? Or where was the moment you think that Mbinga was just to the point of, F you, I've had enough. You know what? I, I, I thought that that would be the moment where we kind of got the finale or the, sh- the final showdown between the two. I thought it would be in the sparring session, but they let us sit with the truth just a little bit, a little while kind of before we got to the end. Because after that, Mbinga immediately goes to that famous sonic shower scene that Wind Grace loves so much. <laughs> and and if we sit, we sit, you know, we kind of learn a little more information. We sit with it for a little bit. And oh my goodness, this dude is back in sick bay for some more. <laughs> and, you know, I, I will give it to Ambassador Ra or Doc Ra. He, he definitely, he definitely was trying. Even though we know he was fake, we know he seized the opportunity. He definitely was trying. And I feel like he was, you know, in a large sense, he was reformed. He was trying to do the right thing. But how he got there was was messy at best. And that's kind of what makes this a hard episode to kind of um, dissect and, and, and really think about and think about the implications of going forward, because this was a liar, but he was trying to do the right thing. And even when you come down, you know, we know the truth now. We'll just get into it. Um, we heard that they were killing civilians on the moon of Jagal and 
uh, Doc Raw, Ambassador Doc Raw, or Klingon General J- Doc Raw, would say, kill everybody that's not a Klingon. And Mbinga, once he saw Trash killed, he wasn't having it. He was, he's, you know, I'm going in. <laughs> Basically, is what we got. I'm going in and I'm going to do what I do with my hand to hand combat. And if, if, if Doc Ra would have been there, if Ra would have been there, he would have, he would have died too on that day. So it kind of seemed like it was a, the completion of a mission that he wasn't able to complete at the time in, in some sense. Mm. But, but still, it leaves you with an icky feeling by the time we get to the end. So your icky feeling, describe it, because I have a question about it. What, what, what about the ending left you with an icky feeling? Well, just the, well, you, first you got to address the ambiguity of what actually happened. We don't actually know. We saw it behind a blurred wall and we, you know, Nurse Chapel gave us a story of what happened. But, you know, I believe it was le- left with a bit of ambiguity to leave it up to the viewer to kind of decide what happened. I mean, either way it went, I think it's bad for Mbinga. You know, somebody who says he wanted to be a doctor to try to change his past. Uh, Ra did the same thing. <laughs> you know, he, whether he was gifted to him, or it, he got there. He's, he's now peaceful now. He's an ambassador and he is trying to get away from his past. But let me play that same side of the, you know, different sides of the same coin that you mentioned earlier. But the difference to me is, and I agree with you there, but the difference to me is with the ambassador, you went from somebody doing bad to to supposedly, quote unquote, doing good. You know, he's trying to do good in place of, you know, turning over a new leaf, trying to do something better. The reverse of that, you've got someone who is a doctor, who is healing, who goes dark, who goes quote unquote bad and then has to go back to being a doctor mm. that you know yeah. and it goes into the context of what war will make you do because yeah. at the beginning of the episode i did not see him as wanting to go out and fight his goal was to take care of people yeah yeah and even more weighty is the doctor's creed on top of that you know um let's pick up a few of these comments here because i think we got some really good stuff here uh first dream Walker says that Ambassador Dakarao would have been <laughs> assassinated by another Klingon sooner or later anyway. I agree. If he would have, he deserted. So he wasn't going to last too much longer, Mm-mm. I feel. Um, here's one from Tasha as well. I feel like Amiga knew he wasn't going to al- ally with him from the moment he was asked because he knew he was, li- I mean, great point, Tasha, because he knew he was living a lie. Right. We knew he was taking on this moniker of the Butcher Jagal, and he was not the Butcher. <laughs> it was really Mbinga. Um, also, point here from Wingrace. Maybe he wasn't doing the right thing now, but who is to say he won't switch sides the next time another? He's, easy opportunity arises. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, true. True. It seems like um, he's an opportunist for sure. So, great point there. Um, and let's see here. We have a comment from Retney saying, remember when they were about to fight, Ross said, so you do understand me. I feel like there was that understanding there and he knew it. I feel like Ra wanted it. Oh man. What do they call it? When the suicide by cop is that, that what was going on there? And you know what you may, you know, these, these points may well be, be, spot on because i'm sitting here thinking and even with Worf, if you go back and think of some of the things that Worf said and his explanations of things being raised by humans he still had 
quoted the Klingon lines of honor and, you know, battles and etc. I don't remember the ambassador saying anything about being disgraced and about keeping honor and whatnot. And to me, if he didn't, that falls along the lines of I'm being an opportunist. Yeah, well, he definitely, when he was talking to Spock, he mentioned the Klingons being warmongers and idealists. And maybe some of that honor and stuff will fall into the idealist portion of what he says. That's a bad part about being a Klingon. But but great point. Um, Retney says here that Ra felt like a coward. A Klingon always wants to remedy cowardness. It's their culture. Agreed. Um, Yeah. And, you know, when it comes down to it, I feel like everybody involved kind of leaves with a little ick around them. Do we know of Chapel? saw what she said she saw because from our point of view don't look like she saw what was going on and we also know when it comes to Mbinga being a butcher Jagal uh, she co-signed it you know mm. <laughs> as he was getting ready to leave she kind of co-signed the whole thing yeah go get him <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in so many words so I feel like she, she, they're in it they're in it tight because she bears some responsibility in in egging him on although he probably going to do it anyway but but egging him on in the whole situation. Well, so. it's the reverse of what happened at the beginning of the episode. Because at the beginning, he's not egging her on, but he's giving her the the, mm. the, the speech. And yeah. here the table's kind of turned, and she's the forceful one telling him, take care of it. You yeah. know, that, mm. that I thought was cool. But I do have a question. I want to go back real quick to the dinner and make a comment and then i have a question for you the comment was i loved how when mbinga was sitting at the chair and again another thing that was without words the way he was holding his hand onto the chair and grinding his hand into the chair (laughs) you know that to me was very subtle but it made a point i really really like that but my question is do you agree with ortega's for standing up and walking out. How can you disagree with her? I mean, I mean, she probably shouldn't have came to the dinner, if I'm being honest. But, I mean, Pike wanted his senior officers to show up for the occasion. And only so much you can take, if I'm being honest. So, I don't I don't fault her one bit. And, you know, I love seeing Artigas getting the thick of it. So, she had like a pretty, pretty weighty part of this episode as well. So, I thought she did a great job. As and, somebody who can't mask his emotions who wears his emotions on his face i would have never have gone because if i disliked that person that much and i couldn't hide it i'm i'm like what you said she should not have gone i don't say she was wrong i'm just saying for the let's assume that we didn't have the ending that we did Mm -hmm. and he was legit and he was the butcher and he was turning over a new leaf you could have jeopardized that entire ambassador relationship by that yeah Yeah. and you know another thing that i thought was really cool in the episode was we got to see spock take up for nurse chapel or at least attempt to by shifting the conversation i thought that was pretty pretty cool and you know see spock step up a little bit i thought i thought they were great in this episode even though we didn't get that much of them i thought that was that was pretty cool as well so do you think we will see less and less romantic between he and she going forward? Or do you think we'll still have that tension? I think it's on the way out. Maybe by the end of the season, we won't have much of it. But, yeah, 
you know, I think we got a big, you know, time period here we can play around with that. So maybe we don't need to get rid of it that soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but I know people are ready for Spock to get back yeah. to being old school yeah. Spock. So I'm not necessarily wanting him to be old school, but I'm just feeling like I'm reading the writing on the wall. Oh, yeah, and I definitely. just see it as after she saw that she wasn't going, you know, what happened in last episode, she had that realization. I think we'll see less and less and more and more obstacles between them. Yeah. Uh, one other comment about the episode before we pick up a few of these comments. Uh, I love the design of the USS Kelsey May. It may have been Wingrace in his video that mentioned it being maybe a transport ship. I think that may be him that said that. But in any case, the one to sell... I, I thought it was a beautifully designed little ship, and I liked it. So nah, that's all I have to say about it. I thought it was pretty cool. I haven't seen that design before. So, yeah. Let's pick up a few comments, Cal. Go for it. All right. We have Dreamwalker here saying that, are there Starfleet regulations against putting security cameras in ships? Those could have answered Pike's questions of what happened. Yeah, you would think they would be in sickbay, right? Um, I don't know. Good point. Good point. And furthermore, he says, Doc Rob made a mistake touching. <laughs> oh, when he grabbed the Miga's arm when he was leaving out the dinner, let's have a sparring session. <laughs> I thought the Miga was going to rip him to shreds. <laughs> like, bro, you brave. You brave, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But again, uh, you know, for whoever directed this, the entire, because the things that I keep coming back to are not vocal. All these things that I keep telling you that I really, really like had no words to them at all. So, you know, kudos to the directing. Uh, Wingrace is saying Dreamwalker's question was great. It seems they never have cameras in any series. Best they have is location data tied to the combat tracking. True. Now, we could have used that thing that Picard used in season one um, to do like this 3D sort of thing uh, when they were investigating that crime in that apartment that would have been you know we could that would have came in handy oh that would have been cool and of course tasha says yeah they have cameras when it's convenient so yeah all right guys well i've gone through my notes kyle do you have anything else you want to bring up about this episode before we kind of wrap things up and well get out of here for tonight? not exactly about this episode but it is something that you mentioned at the beginning which was the video where I'm talking and you and I are talking about the Star Wars toys. I'm about to drop that for everyone in the chat. So there we go. But no, I don't have anything else about the episode proper. Cool. With that said, how would you rate this episode, sir? Without a doubt, one of my, I think, all-time favorite Star Trek episodes because of the adult nature and what and i love the fact that i thought in it and i loved how they did it without a doubt hands down five oh out of five easily oh wow uh, and with that i have no qualms with the episode either i loved it it's my second five in a row so five five for me everybody in the chat what are you thinking about this episode how would you rate it on a five point scale five for me and cal we'd love to hear what you're thinking and then for those listening as well uh, what did you think about this episode? You can hit us up at Discussing Trek on any and all social medias or feedback at DiscussingTrek.com. Anything else, Kyle, before we get out of here for tonight? It looks like our friend Tasha has said five and our friend Wingrace has said five for me. Asterisk being this is my favorite Strange New World episode up until now. Ooh, ooh. 
Interesting. I've had a lot of, I've had a few good ones from this season. So this is definitely one to revisit and get more nuggets out of. So, so yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Love it. Love it. This is going to be one of those episodes in the years to come that I think people will look back and say, what is a Strange New Worlds episode that you need to check out if you can only check out one out of all the episodes? This will be one of those standout episodes. Yeah. And for all of the feel good, happy, snuggly endings we said we want out of our Strange New Worlds and Trek of old, this one had me feeling disgusted by the end. <laughs> I feel mm. dirty. Yep. As you know, as Pike and everyone else involved should, because I could feel Pike just looking over it, kind of like, should I dig deeper or should I leave this alone? And uh, man, I kind of feel bad for him. And even I mentioned this in Tasha's chat, like, it, what if this is another thing that piles on top of Pike of him just brushing to the side or looking over? Um, I don't know. Hopefully he won't come back to haunt them later. Oh, uh, really quick. The... Um Another rating from Dreamwalker, 4.9 out of 5. Awesome. And with that, guys, we will wrap this up. Thanks to each and every one of you for joining live. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.